you know, I started a war with myself if I had to say what the best bluegrass harmonies were. I'd hitched my horse to the right wagon, no question. Commanded immediate uh, respect of my friends. Traveling with Earl Scruggs, yeah. If you want to create grassroots or roots music, acoustic roots music, um, I think it's good if your life reflects that in, in some manner, you know, like if you're going to play old time or bluegrass music, well, like get out there and get your hands dirty, like do some gardening or like volunteer on a farm or be in touch with nature. Those are the things that inspired that music in, in the first place. And it's just been amazing to see how diversity makes things richer and better. We often talk about diversity like it's an obstacle, you know, like it's a, a thing to be, to be conquered somehow. And it's just not my life experience. The more diversity there is, the richer everything gets. That was David Lamott, preceded by Josh Carter, Dean Jenks, and Michael Daves, all of whom were part of the second annual Earl Scruggs Music Festival. I spoke with each after their performances, or in the case of Dean Jenks, after his panel discussion about the festival's namesake. Each pulled questions from a hat, which resulted in animated conversations that found myself and each artist wandering into a kind of zone of roots music serendipity each time they would dig out one of the 20 questions. As you could gather from the show intro, there's plenty of discussion of Earl Scruggs, whose composition Flint Hill Special from his time in Flattened Scruggs is playing now. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick, welcoming you to this episode of Southern Songs and Stories. Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. Osiris creates music podcasts and events to help music fans deepen their connection to the music they love with all of their shows at OsirisPod.com. Osiris works in partnership with Jambase, which connects music fans to the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Capsule versions of Southern Songs and Stories are produced for broadcast on WNCW by me, Corey Askew. More information about this and other podcasts from Grassroots Radio, WNCW at WNCW.org. Call me biased, and I am, but the four days of the 2023 Earl Scruggs Music Festival held at the Tryon International Equestrian Center over Labor Day weekend ranked as one of the best music experiences of my life. Admittedly, my perspective as part of the team that produced the festival greatly influenced this, but ask anyone that attended and I bet you will get a positive response about the event. 
from headliners Emmylou Harris, Green Sky Bluegrass, and infamous String Dusters, to bluegrass legends like the Del McCurry Band, the Earls of Leicester, and Darren and Brooke Aldridge, to genre-defying heavyweights like the Jerry Douglas Band, and roots music mainstays like Zoe and Cloyd and I Draw Slow, to a host of artists on the rise like Jake Blunt and the Trey Wellington Band, there was something for everyone with an ear for old-time bluegrass and rootsy music at the festival. Michael Cleveland and Flamekeeper put on a fantastic set, and Michael Cleveland made guest appearances with Green Sky Bluegrass and was part of the Earl Scruggs Review and practically lit the stage on fire every time he pulled out his bow. Jerry Douglas was festival host once again, and the audience was delighted every time he added his special sauce to the mix. The artists seemed to be having as much or more fun than the audience at every turn. There was an abundance of pinch-me moments throughout, and my conversations with the artists added four more. We begin this episode with a question about favorite Earl Scruggs memories or stories, which both Dean Jenks and Michael Daves pulled from the hat. Dean Jenks played extensively with Earl Scruggs' brother Horace. Michael Daves has played with artists ranging from Chris Thiele to Aoife O'Donovan, Roseanne Cash, and Tony Trishka, who was also part of the festival lineup. Here's Michael Daves. All right. This is favorite Earl Scruggs memories or stories or favorite iconic artist memories or stories. Um, well, I'm going to just go in a little different direction here because I'm, you know, I'm a guitar player primarily, and uh, my favorite guitar player, bluegrass guitar player, has always been Clarence White. Um, and um, I, I think most people don't really know a lot about Clarence White's guitar playing. I think a lot of people's understanding is kind of filtered through Tony Rice, who was very influenced by Clarence and sort of looked up to Clarence and, you know, had plays his guitar and all that. But um, what Clarence is actually doing is, is a very different animal. But um, you mentioned Scruggs, and I, I think that, well, I think, back up and say, I think Bela Fleck said, you know, when, if, if you have your musical heroes, what you want to do is rather than initially copying them, try to figure out what they were listening to. What was inspiring the people that inspire you? And so I, I think probably the, the primary influence on Clarence White, my favorite guitar player's playing, is Earl Scruggs. <laughs> you know, he, he didn't, I don't think, get a lot from other guitar players because there weren't many people with flat picking leads before Clarence was doing. I mean, there was Doc Watson a little before, but they kind of came up along you know, pretty much around the same time. Don Reno, George Shuffler, but Clarence was good doing his own thing. But I think he, his own thing came out of trying to imitate Earl Scruggs' banjo playing on the guitar. Hmm. That's Which you can't do, but it can be really interesting to try. And I think that's part of how, how you get Clarence White's playing sounding so good and so syncopated. So there's Scruggs. I like that a lot. All right.
a bit of Chris Thiele and Michael Dave's version of the Flatten Scruggs song, If I Should Wander Back Tonight, from their album Sleep With One Eye Open. Here's Dean Jenks. Horace, uh, Horace Scruggs was basically like my grandfather. And I spent a lot of time with him and subsequently got to know Earl from Horace. And then when Earl would come to Shelby, uh, we would play, and then we would go up to the old Madison, Tennessee house and play up there a lot. And so I got really, really good memories and stories for Earl and Horace and Junie and the whole family. Earl and I, uh, I, I was spending as much time as I could when he would come to Shelby or we would go to his house up in Madison, Tennessee with his brother Horace. And I was playing in a band. I think the name of the band at that time was River Bend. And I got invited to go to the first Merle Fest and to go with Earl to the first Merle Fest. My wife and I went and we checked into the room and Earl came and knocked on the door and he told me uh, that to grab my banjo and let's go down and play some music with this guy that tries to play the guitar. And so we went down the hall and uh, knocked on the door and it was Chet Atkins. And, and so we stayed with Chet Atkins uh, all afternoon, and it took me probably 30 seconds to demonstrate to Chet that uh, I was no threat to him or early the one. So, but it was great fun, great fun. I think that was the moment you said when you knew you had hitched your wagon. <laughs> I hitched my horse to the right wagon, no question. Commanded immediate uh, respect of my friends traveling with Earl Scruggs. One of the questions that three of our guests drew was this. Tell us your experience or perspective on the encouraging and inclusive community for acoustic roots musicians. Do you have any observations about the resiliency of the bluegrass scene because of its grassroots nature? Here's Dean Jenks, followed by Josh Carter of the band Pretty Little Goat and David Lamont. Pretty complex question. I think that like maybe Jerry Douglas mentioned a minute ago, uh, this music is here to stay. It might not stay exactly as you know it right now. There'll always be some traditionalists and purists, but there will always be an evolution of this type of music, uh, an evolution of banjo music. You can listen to folks up here at the Scruggs Festival that are playing hardcore traditional bluegrass, and you see those that have turned the corner and move the instrument into different genres or at least subgenres of bluegrass music. So I think it's gonna be an ever-evolving situation. Yeah, in, in some ways, the the um, acoustic roots um, can and should be more inclusive of all types of roots music. Um, and then uh, yeah, the second half of that kind of goes on, on the other way. It's like if you're at some point, if you become so inclusive, then how do you hang on to your roots? You know, because bluegrass and old time are such long-standing traditions, and not that they've remained the same for centuries, but um, but the world we live in today in the 21st century is a much faster changing world. Everybody has access to the internet and huge, incredible amounts of music, like overwhelming amounts of music. Uh, so I don't, I don't know exactly how to answer that, but I think um, maybe something like this, if, if you're if you want to create grassroots or roots music acoustic roots music um i think it's good if your life reflects that in in some manner you know like if you're gonna play old time or bluegrass music well like get out there and get your hands dirty like 
do some gardening or like volunteer on a farm or be in touch with nature. Those are the things that inspired that music in, in the first place. Tell us your experience or perspective on encouraging inclusive community for acoustic roots musicians. Do you have any observations about the resiliency of the scene because of its grassroots nature? Um, that's the question. It's a really good question. One of the things that's really cool about this fine-tuned music project that I've just been a part of um, through Blue Ridge Mountain music, uh, music Trails has been the broad diversity um, in, in the project. We've, really, the whole idea of the project is to foster these collaborations across genre. Right, so I'm a singer-songwriter. You know, my my lineage, my musical lineage, goes first through the folk pop revival of the '70s before it goes back farther to Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger and such. Um, but I've been playing with this young hammer dulcimer player, who's uh, Benjamin Barker, who's the national hammer dulcimer uh, champion. He's a remarkable player, and we've had so much fun. We actually wrote a song together and. And he also performed on another song that I'd written. So it's really been a blast to reach across these two traditions and tie them together. The rest of the album has all these other fascinating collaborations between people across genre, people who are accustomed to singing old time, singing with folks who play sacred steel tradition, right? So there's that musical diversity. There's also racial diversity, I'm very happy to say, in, the, in this project. Um, especially the Sacred Steel Band, they, these guys are just brilliant players. And um, that's, a, that's a tradition that comes out of black church um, where the organ was not the main, uh, is not the main instrument traditionally, but the uh, steel guitar is, which is super cool. And it's just been amazing to see how diversity makes things richer and better. We often talk about diversity like it's an obstacle, you know, like it's a, a thing to be, to be conquered somehow. And it's just not my life experience. The more diversity there is, the richer everything gets. We get edgy with this guy, Bill Monroe, and Michael Daves means that literally. Oh, let's see. This one is, who is your most edgy or envelope-pushing influence? Gosh, where even start? Um, <laughs> first answer is Bill Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> the father of bluegrass music. And I, I, one of the reasons I love Bill Monroe so much is that his playing, when you get down to it, is extremely edgy and uh, really out there sometimes. And, you know, he was doing stuff that it was just so outrageous and way weirder than, what, 99.9% .9 of people who consider themselves traditional bluegrass music would even think to play or be willing to play. Bill was real out there sometimes, and I love that about his playing. Um, 
And, uh, you know, there are a few mandolin players, for instance, who I think really kind of get that, one of them being Andy Statman uh, up in New York. He's a very outrageous player. But um, uh, I guess another, like outside of bluegrass, uh, I, as far as instrumental music, uh, one group that I really appreciate a lot is called the Dirty Three. Oh, wow. And, yeah. Mick Turner? Um, yeah, the baritone guitar, uh, violin, and uh, drums. So it's Jim White on drums. Um, Warren Ellis on, on violin and they play music that's uh, it's all instrumental it's kind of grungy but features the violin uh, and uh, the drumming I think is it's, it's, it's very emotional very kind of dark and cathartic and that's, that's those are things that I want out of music And oh my gosh best bluegrass harmonies ever either for a band or album or just one song oh man this is going to make my brain explode because <laughs> um, I'm you know, I, I'm a singer. I, I teach uh, bluegrass vocals on artist works and, and elsewhere, and and I love love bluegrass harmonies. Uh, now, all right, gosh, where do you even start? Uh, so you can just go. You don't have to be the encyclopedia. You don't have to be clinical as much as you can just pick a song or you know. And that's the that's going to be yeah. the truth for now, at least, right? It doesn't have to be for all time, sure. right? Sure. How how you, nobody can really get this right. Okay, well, you know what? I'm, I'm going to have to... I'm going to avoid the question a little bit. I'm going to say the Leuven brothers. Okay. Oh, yeah, mm. yeah. Because there's just... Uh, just, you know, I started a war with myself if I had to say what the best bluegrass harmonies were. There are too many of them. So but I'm going to say I think the Leuven brothers were probably the greatest country brother duet, and they sort of came out of bluegrass in the sense that they were, you know, come, came out of the Monroe brothers, and uh, they were, you know, in Nashville, and... Jim and Jesse did a bunch of their music. I've been getting really into Jim and Jesse music um, over the last year or so. Been trying to collect and learn a bunch of uh, their songs. And of course, Jesse McReynolds just passed away uh, recently, a month or two ago. I'd already been working with, on a project with Jacob Jolliffe. Uh, we're, we're hoping to record an album of Jim and Jesse music. We, we've been planning this for, for a while before, and since before Jesse passed. But um, uh, and the Jim and Jesse got a lot from the Leuvens. They did a whole record of, of Leuven music and and uh, a lot of their hits like I Wish You Knew and uh, Are You Missing Me came from the Leuvens. So, uh, but um, I think the Leuvens, yeah, they're, they're, um, they're, my, they're my favorite probably in the country world is just as far as harmony singing and how, they, how their voices fit together and what they were doing. Um, but th that is a, a little bit of avoiding the question, of, uh, which is about bluegrass. They're, they're not exactly <laughs> bluegrass, but I'm trying to be a dil diplomatic. <laughs> I like that. That's good. That's a good answer. Best bluegrass harmonies ever either for a band, album, or just one song. There is no question in my mind that J.D. Crow in the New South, back when Tony was playing with them regularly, and uh, I think that was perfect harmony, and man, perfect harmony. Just, okay. And look at the sky. Too empty to sing, too lonesome to cry. If the ladies were blackbirds and the ladies wore thrushes, I'd lie there for hours in the chilly cold marshes. 
If the ladies were squirrels with a high bushy tail, I'd fill up my shotgun with rock salt and nails. A bit of rock salt and nails by J.D. Crow and the New South from their self-titled debut album, a prime example of the great harmony Dean Jenks pointed to. Josh Carter plays mandolin in the Brevard, North Carolina five-piece Pretty Little Goat, which describe themselves as seeing traditional music as a living art form, vibrant and evolving. Here's Josh, followed by Michael Daves, answering the question, what is the Roots music scene, industry, fan base getting right, and what can be improved? Ooh. That's a loaded question, too. Um, there's so much good Roots music out there right now. Um, some of it is being labeled as Roots music and some of it as not. Um, and I'm partially not a big fan of labeling or pinpointing music into genres anyway, but um, I, think, I think a lot of people could be more open-minded about what Roots music actually is. I have run into a lot of people that are like, oh yeah, this is Roots music or that's not Roots music, but... Um, I mean, if it has, if, if the music feels like it is rooted in some sort of long-standing tradition, then I would call it Roots music, I think. Let's see. Uh, next question is, what is the Roots music scene industry fan base getting right, and what can be improved? Well, one thing I think the Roots music scene is, is getting right is really exploring the actual roots of the music, certainly when it comes to the uh, role of uh, you know, race and gender in the actual history of the music, um, you know, particularly the African-American roots of, of banjo and string band music and understanding how, you know, racism within the music industry, like back in the 20s and the 30s, for instance, really impacted how people thought about, you know, who played what music, you know, uh, record labels would release string band music for white audiences and blues for blacks audiences, for instance, yeah. but there were a lot of African-American people playing string band music. And, you know, here in North Carolina, you all have the, you know, Carolina Chocolate Drops. Rhiannon Giddens has been really yeah. great at, you know, helping tell that story, the story of the banjo generally and of um, that. So I think that, that that's a, a really positive trend, people really understanding what those actual roots are and, uh, you know, hopefully starting to give credit where credit is due. Yeah, I could say that, you know, in that in that same sort of direction that the artificial nature of of these categories, you know, created to to sell records and put them in a box that was safe for you to buy Mm -hmm. that you didn't have to necessarily go across the tracks, so to speak. But right. on the ground level, it never, uh, there was never any segregation when it came to musician, musicians especially. Right, yeah, well, musical ideas are always uh, travel freely amongst other musicians, but, you know, certainly, uh, you know, are impacted by, you know, business and kind of prevailing cultural, you know, biases and whatnot. And, very staunchly so and when it came to string band music um, yeah. so glad that it's kind of starting to kind of write the sh- that history or at least our understanding of the history you know there's a lot more work to do of course but David Lamott was part of the fine tune set at the Earl Scruggs Festival a project of the Blue Ridge National Heritage Area and the Blue Ridge Music Trails 
Fine-Tuned is a mentorship and collaboration-based project to develop emerging artists playing traditional music in Western North Carolina. David is a songwriter, speaker, and author who has performed over 3,000 shows, toured all 50 states and five continents, with 13 albums to his credit so far. Question number eight is, what's the hardest song you've ever written or the hardest song you've ever learned? So I've got a song on my most recent record that has a ridiculous rhyme scheme where every couplet, the last word or sound of that couplet is the first word or sound of the next couplet. And that goes all the way through the verses. You hit the chorus, the last word of the chorus is the first word of the chorus, or last word of the verse is first word of the chorus. Last word of the chorus is the first word of the next verse. It goes all the way through the song and you get to the end of the song and the last word of the song is the first word of the song. It's called Still. Um, and it was just a blast to, to write. But it's fascinating because sometimes I tell people what's going on before, before I sing the song. Sometimes I just sing it, and you see people catch on. Some people catch on partway through the song. But the, um, I, I've actually started doing it as a poem lately because it's easier for folks to get a hold of it. It's a funny thing how people listen to music differently. Can you recite any of it? Oh, I could do the whole thing if you want funny thing about this song is it's really easy to remember the words because you've got a built-in mnemonic device, right? You can't forget what comes next. (laughs) So here's how it goes. Still a chill in the air, but winter is waning, and springtime is winning, I swear that it will. Will you come with me to greet the new morning? The new buds are forming. The sky is turning blue. Blue past so much of my life, looking down like a sad painted clown. But I'll wipe that face off. Often I've dreamed of this kind of adventure, and this is the clincher. You're coming with me. Meet me at dawn by the depot. We'll never have this day again. And you keep on talking about changes. This just might be where they begin. Intoxicating, I've been hibernating, but now I'm waking. A silly old bear. Bear branches whisper while others play rhythm. The jazz trees will give them side stick on a snare. Snared by a bramble, the seeds take the gamble to see where we ramble and drop them anew. A new sense of possible. The thing about seeds is they trust in the breezes and go with them there. There's no time to wait on tomorrow till our lists are all tidy and done. We might wait until 18 forevers and then find that we missed all the fun. Fungus and lichen, I must say, I'm liking this green that we're hiking through everywhere. Wearing these grins. As the new day begins, we're shedding our skins coming over the hill. Hilarious laughter. My worn spirit rises. The light in your eyes is a beauty to see. Scenery shifting. We're not going to miss it. We'll soak in this bliss. It's not time to be still. Still a chill in the air, but winter is waning and springtime is winning. I swear that it will. Hardest song that you've ever written or hardest song that I've ever learned. Well, I don't write that many songs, so um, let me think about hardest song that I've ever learned. Um, I would I would have to say, well, I do a lot of teaching, and, and I like to pay attention to the detail, especially of, like, vocal. And, and like, you know, bluegrass is my wheelhouse, but I remember the first time I really tried to learn a George Jones song, note for note, and to try to sing it like George Jones, that was really hard for me, because I'm more in the Bill Monroe, kind of Ralph Stanley uh 
stylistic wheelhouse and and trying to sing something like george was like a, that was the brave new world it was it, the singing that was the hardest was the singing yeah 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 because yeah, he's he's the top shelf of the top shelf he yeah yeah no one puts a song across like george and i had uh, learned um a good year for the roses which uh, i ended up recording later but i remember that when i first learned it i was trying to get my voice to do the particular movements that george is doing was it was an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> but you survived to tell the I tale. I survived, yep. Take it from Michael Daves. Approach any George Jones song with caution. There's a good reason why he's widely regarded as the best country music vocalist of all time. That's all for this episode, but not all for the Earl Scruggs Music Festival, as I got to speak with Reese Palmer as well, and that conversation is coming up in this series among others from elsewhere like Jonathan Wilson and Bella White. I will be at IBMA soon, and that looks to have ample opportunity for interviews too. That's our show. Thanks for listening. We are so grateful when you tell someone about this series, and it's easy to follow us on your podcast platform of choice, where it will only take a minute to give us a top rating and where it's an option of review. The series is a part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media, with all of the Osiris shows available at osirispod.com, you can also hear new episodes on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. Thanks to Corey Askew for producing the radio adaptations of this series on Public Radio WNCW, where we worked with Joshua Ming, who wrote and performed our theme songs. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it. 